all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Hello, Mississippi. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, and we're here with a special guest to talk about joints or whatever else ails you today. Yeah, that's right. We've got a joint replacement specialist, and the older you get, the more important that seems to be right now. From Think Radio, this is the original Southern Remedy, where the doctors are always in. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics, and we're taking your calls at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. It's all things considered, but we have a special guest, too, so give us a call. Our lines are open, or you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The U.S. Senate is taking action on the final nominees for President Trump's cabinet. Representative Ryan Zinke has been confirmed for Secretary of the Interior. Next up, Ben Carson's nomination for Housing and Urban Development Secretary. And before the end of the week, the Senate is expected to vote on the confirmation of Rick Perry to lead the Department of Energy. When he was running for president, Perry had said he would eliminate the Energy Department. He had since said that he had changed his mind. Republicans are elated with President Trump's first address to Congress. NPR's Ron Elving says... The consensus is that Trump's speech last night may have been his most presidential yet. He should see a good bounce from this speech, not only because it was forceful and presidential, but because it did seem to have a balance between the people he appealed to in the campaign and the people he will also need to unite the country. But soon, of course, all the conflicts within the Republican Party and between the two parties are going to manifest themselves as Congress comes to grips with his actual proposals on budget, his actual proposals on immigration, his actual proposals on repealing and replacing Obamacare. That's NPR's Ron Elving reporting. Former CIA officer Sabrina D'Souza may be released from custody today. She's been held in Portugal since 2015 for her role in helping kidnap an Egyptian cleric 14 years ago. We have more on this from NPR's Mary Louise Kelly. D'Souza was about to step on a plane to be flown to Italy, where she faced prison. But at the last minute, Italy's president granted D'Souza partial clemency, shaving a year off her sentence, which means she may not go to prison at all and could instead perform community service. Peter Hoekstra, former chair of the House Intelligence Committee, has been in contact with D'Souza's husband and lawyers. Hoekstra says details are still being negotiated as to which country she might perform that community service in. D'Souza was convicted in absentia for the kidnapping, which took place in Milan back in 2003, part of the CIA's extraordinary rendition program. Mary Louise Kelly, NPR News, Washington. 
The Dow Jones Industrial Average has crossed the 21,000 mark for the first time. NPR's Yuki Noguchi has more. Investors are reacting to comments from Federal Reserve officials indicating greater likelihood of another interest rate hike in March. That would provide a boost to the financial sector. Bank stock indices were trading up 2% or more. Stocks also gained following President Donald Trump's address to Congress on Tuesday, which struck a lighter tone and repeated some of his pro-economic growth agenda. The president did not offer new details of those plans, but repeated his promises to enact massive tax cuts, cut regulation, and to spend more on infrastructure. Yuki Noguchi, NPR News, Washington. All major market indices are up more than 1%. This is NPR News. The U.N.'s Commission of Inquiry on Syria has determined that the evacuation of Aleppo in December after months of bombardment by Russian and Syrian forces marked the latest in a series of war crimes in the civil war. It issued a report today on violations committed by all parties involved in the battle for Aleppo. It said one especially egregious act involved Syrian warplanes targeting a humanitarian aid convoy. Former President and First Lady Barack and Michelle Obama have a new project in the works. NPR's Rose Friedman reports they'll both write books in the coming months. Penguin Random House announced Tuesday that it would publish one book each from the Obamas. This isn't the first time the couple published with Penguin Random House. CEO Marcus Dola said in a statement that he is looking forward to continuing the partnership adding, quote, with their words and their leadership, they changed the world. And every day with the books we publish at Penguin Random House, we strive to do the same. Obama's books have reached bestseller status before, which might explain the reported price of more than $60 million for the two works. The publisher has said in honor of the Obamas, it will donate one million books to the nonprofit First Book, which serves low-income kids. The Obamas have also said they will donate a significant portion of their advance to charity. Rose Friedman, NPR News. Arkansas is recovering from a destructive storm system. In the northern part of the state, there are reports of 40 damaged homes, many of them mobile homes. An emergency management spokesman says that in White County, 10 to 15 people were taken to hospitals. No word yet on the extent of their injuries. The Dow is up 283 at 21,095. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include visiting angels, professional caregivers assisting adults at home in bathing, dressing, meals, and light housework nationwide. Visiting angels, America's choice in senior home care. Learn more at 1-800-365-4189. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick here. Uh, It's your usual Wednesday, the original Southern Remedy, where we take questions on whatever you want to talk about. And it's always a pleasure to visit with you for this hour. So if you're uh, looking for some information, uh, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464, or send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. 
We're taking all questions, but I brought along a special friend who, uh, with whom I work, actually, and uh, someone that you have requested in some of your emails, and that is an orthopedic jo- joint replacement specialist. Uh, since everybody seems to want to have a, be a bionic person now, I thought it would be good to have Dr. Ben Stronich who is a um, specially trained surgeon who specializes in toenail replacement. No, no. You guys have gotten so specialized. I know you like to do hips and knees. And when I send you somebody with an ankle, you say, mm, uh, not really. I want to do something else. And so, uh, but you are an expert on replacing joints. And uh, we really are glad to have you here, Dr. Ben. Thanks, Dr. Rick. I appreciate you having me. So you, uh, and we're going to go to Ripley to talk about knee replacement, and we're going to go to your house. If you give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We have open lines, and we really want to hear from you because there are a lot of people struggling with this problem, including David, who will be calling in just a second. You, it, it seems like everybody I see has knee and hip pain. I, I mean, it's, it's it's unbelievable. And it didn't seem that when I was younger and better in practice uh, that as many people complained. It may be that I'm, I'm just a better listener. What is going on? Yeah, there's no shortage of business when it comes to arthritis right now. Uh, there's a, a major need for arthritis care in this state as well. So last estimates are over half a million people in the state of Mississippi that have arthritis for a, a state that only has several million for a population. So we are quite busy, and we are seeing quite a bit of arthritis, and I think that's for many reasons. Uh, some of that is um, we are getting heavier as a population, and people are living longer. So we end up seeing a lot more arthritis than we used to, even 10, 20 years ago. Does everybody that has hip and knee replacement need to have their hip replaced and their knee replaced? Um, to not always. In terms of <laughs> oh, I'm glad you occasionally it, don't want to do that. Yeah, not always. So we, we don't like to just start with surgery right away. And, and sometimes that's necessary if, if we have a severe case. But a lot of people that have early arthritis, we have a lot of options for those patients before we start talking about surgery. Yeah, and that's my job as a rheumatologist. So you've got a rheumatologist and an orthopedist here, and you can give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's all things considered. Anything you want to talk about, but we we're especially interested in talking about joints and joints replacements for those people who want some information on that. So feel free to call about anything. Let's go to David and Ripley. Hey, David. David, you with us? Hi, how are you today? Thanks for your call. I appreciate you waiting a minute while we could get uh, our guest introduced. What's your question? I had a knee replacement back in September of 16, and I'm having a little bit of a problem with still being able to bend that knee completely without pain. Mm -hmm. So did you have physical therapy after your surgery? Yes. And how long was that? Uh, able. Was that uh, six that weeks? Three months. Three months. Yeah, it was. And are you still in physical therapy? No. I'm okay. Not, I, I have the option of returning if I need to. Well, uh, this is a common question, Dr. Stronich, that, that I get as a non-orthopedist from people who've had joint replacements, is that they did not get their a return to 
perfectly normal range of motion after joint repair. Now, most of them don't complain about it because they're so much better than they were that they don't care that they're a few degrees off. But what uh, what what do you think about when somebody complains of not having full range of motion after a joint replacement? Yeah, so there, there are multiple issues uh, that could be at play when you don't regain full motion after knee replacement. The most common thing that we see is if you start with poor motion or you're not able to bend the knee back very far before surgery, uh, it's very hard for us to, to gain a lot more motion in that patient. So that sometimes is one thing. But there are other patients that have good motion prior to surgery and lose motion, uh, and that really um, is multifactorial. You know, there's several things that go into that. Some of it can be um, from biology, from scarring with the patient. Some of it can be an implant issue or actually internal problems with the parts. And sometimes that can be just a problem of, of being able to have the effort to do the physical therapy due to pain. So what, do you, what does he need to do? Well, I Go think, back to his surgeon and, and complain? That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, well, I think being upfront with your surgeon about the fact that you're still not where you want to be is reasonable. And I can tell you that the surgeons who do what I do, um, we all have patients that aren't completely satisfied. And it usually takes up to a year to really see where you're going to end up after you've had a knee replacement. You know, uh, uh, Dr. Ben, uh, very few people who are not in medicine understand how complicated these joints are and how many parts and pieces can get goofed up. So why don't you explain in 20 seconds what you do when you do a knee replacement? Do you saw off the bones above and below the knee and stick something in there, or what do you do, and what happens to the kneecap? Right, so there's a perception with a lot of patients that we go in and basically section out your entire knee and just throw the whole thing away, but it doesn't really work quite like that. So we actually just take very small slivers of bone off the end of the femur bone and off the very top of the tibia, and those measure about a centimeter or somewhere around a quarter of an inch. So, so that's your upper leg and your lower leg. Correct. At the knee, you just shave off the ends of those bones. Yeah, and just a very small amount of bone is removed. And then we replace the amount of bone that we remove. And that's all the damaged arthritis bone that we remove. We replace that with the same thickness of metal with the new implants. And so you just drive those up into those bones? Is that how that works? You well, have sort of a... We have different sizes, so you know, uh, small small women get small knee replacement parts. Large men get large knee replacement parts, and so we cut those bones to be a very specific size. And then there are different ways to get the metal to stay on the bone. Uh, one way to do that is, is something called press fit, where the bone actually grows on the metal to hold it in place. And the other way is to use cement or a grout, which is the technique that most surgeons typically use mm. um, to hold that implant in mm. place long term. Now, what happens to all those muscles and tendons and all that other stuff that give you the strength to extend and flex your knee when you're doing all that sawing in there? Yeah, so we want to be very gentle uh, uh, to the soft tissue. You know, we don't want to cause a lot of injury to the knee while we're in there. We, we want to minimize that. But any way that we get to the knee is going to push on the, the quadriceps muscle a little bit and can irritate it. And we have to work on regaining that muscle function That's after a big, surgery. big, fat muscle in your thigh that lets you extend your knee, stick it up. Is that right? That's right. If you just put your, if you're sitting in a chair right now and you put your hands down on top of your thighs, your hands are on your quadriceps. Mm -hmm. And that 
that's really the big controller of how stable that knee is, right? The how sort of holds everything together. Is that it? That's correct. That muscle is very important. And we actually really like for patients to strengthen that muscle some before surgery if they can, because it really makes the recovery much easier for you. And do you leave the kneecap on or what, what happens to the kneecap? So there's some surgeon preference in that. Um, in Europe, a lot of the patients just keep their own kneecap all the way, but you end up having some anterior knee pain with that. Uh, most of the surgeons in the United States will go ahead and put a plastic button on the bottom side of the kneecap. So the patient keeps most of their kneecap but we shave away a little bit of the damaged part of it mm-hmm. and replace that with a plastic cap. And that piece of plastic then touches the metal part of the femur or the top part of the implant. Okay, so he needs, that was wonderful. I really appreciate you filling in, filling us in on that. Uh, so, so he needs to go back to his surgeon and let him see what's going on with the, the knee, make sure it's a stable implant, there's no inflammation or anything there because it could have been arthritic to start with and could just be inflammation, and that he is optimized on physical therapy. What else? Is that it? That's really it. I think it's just to check the, the major boxes to make sure that the, the wound healed well. There's no concern for infection. Uh, see what the motion was before surgery, what it is after surgery. What are, what are your goals, David, long-term? Those are the things that really need to look at with your surgeon. You're listening to Dr. Ben Stronich, who is a joint replacement orthopedist, who's our special guest here trying to fill in the gaps. We've had so many questions over the last several months about this area that I was able to get him to agree to help. So give him a call, but we'll take whatever question you want. And let's go next to Germantown and Deborah. Hey, Deborah. Hey. What's your question? Oh, uh, some years back, I dropped a heavy metal thing on my big toe and crushed the big toe joint. And Sounds painful. Yeah. So I, I don't didn't know if there was any option at the time. I didn't I didn't really go to a doctor. I was taking care of my parents. And right. Didn't have health coverage. So I didn't go get a doctor look at it. Right. I didn't know if there was any options now, if you could just discuss that. Well, what is the problem with it now? Is it cocked in a it funny direction? It won't bend. I won't bend. So when I walk, I'm having to, you know, roll my foot, which makes my ankle hurt and then sometimes my leg hurt. Boy, that is a great question. Thank you for that. Uh, people, and I'm going to hang up and just listen unless you want to ask me more questions. Well, why don't you wait a minute? He may want to come back and ask you something. We're going to turn the volume down, but just hang in there because uh, we appreciate your call. Uh, and uh, so so uh, people don't realize how important the big toe is, do they? I mean, it really is a big part of your gait, your stability. And I just read an article in some journal somewhere about how undervalued the big toe is, and hers can't bend anymore. Yeah, the the big toe is a, a big player in how you walk, that is for sure. The foot overall is like a, like a leaf spring in a car, and the big toe is really at the end of that. And so if you have damage to the big toe, it's really hard for your foot to work properly. I would say you have some options. You know, we obviously have to get some x-rays and see what type of damage you have. If it's mainly pain, you can actually have a formal fusion or have a surgeon go in and remove any remaining motion on purpose to stiffen the joint and try to help with pain. Now, in terms of freeing the toe up, there are some implants that can help with that, um, but uh, it's a little bit different. It really depends on your situation if that would be a good fit for you to try to regain motion, or you may actually want to make your toe stiff on purpose, depending on what it looks like on x-ray. The biggest problem that I see as a non-orthopedist <clears throat> is people who have foot problems, including 
injuries like this <clears throat> that actually come in with knee and hip pain, and it's coming from their feet, and nobody's ever had them take their shoes off. And I know you do that. So um, I guess part of the question that she needs to answer when she sees somebody for this is whether she has any knee or hip stuff related to that is that all connected yeah very much so and i think you know orthopedic surgeons are not the smartest in medical school so we <laughs> go by the foot bone is connected to the leg bone is connected to the hip bone and that really works pretty well but it really does ring true and we actually see a lot of people that have hip problems uh, but actually are having back problems and so back hip and knee are very related to each other and sometimes when you take care of a knee problem you really help their back and vice versa so um, that is part of our our job is really sort out other issues that may be going on with your foot or your back and perhaps a, a good place for her she could get enter the system <clears throat> either through a physical therapist who could evaluate they're pretty good at evaluating gait uh, disorders seeing if they're everything's in alignment uh, she could go that direction or she could go directly to an orthopedic surgeon uh, to take a look at this. So you've got two choices for entryway into the system. That's correct. And I've actually got a partner who is a foot and ankle surgeon. Like Dr. Rick was saying earlier, we really kind of like to focus in. Uh, Dr. Lori Reed is one of my partners, and she really focuses in on foot and ankle and has been with us about six months but has uh, years of experience and would be someone I'd highly recommend. Now, one thing I like about uh, uh, this particular group and uh, Dr. Ben in particular is uh, I know that they're not going to operate on people that don't need operations. And my job as a rheumatologist is to keep people from having operations that aren't going to help them. It is very difficult to get these people to operate on people. And if you go in for the first time to see a surgeon and they say, you need an operation, you better ask some questions because uh, <clears throat> I, I know some people I can get that will fix any joint you've got regardless of how it is. And uh, I want to thank you for saying no to some of the patients I've sent you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to say no. I mean, as surgeons, we like to cut on things. That's what we train to do. It's how we make our living. But at the end of the day, it's not always the right thing for the patient. And so it is nice to have the ability to do that if it's the right thing. But at the same time, part of my job for you as the patient is to really see what else we can explore to make you better without going through surgery. Yeah. And that's why I'm so uh, anxious for you to go, you patients, to go back and drive your orthopedist crazy if you don't get the result you want, because that'll make them, make them stand up and stop operating on people that they're not as sure as possible. This is this is an art, not just a, just a science, right? And picking out who's actually going to do well with a replacement. I would agree. And really, in the last five to 10 years, we've learned so much more about joint replacement, who's going to do well and who's not. You know, we're much more concerned now about patients that are smokers, patients that are really heavy with morbidly obese patients. We know they don't do as well. Um, our diabetic patients that are out of control and blood sugars are all over the map, that patient could end up getting an infection that could have been prevented. So we've really learned quite a bit about these patients and, and how to do this safer. And so we're really being more strict with who we offer surgery to because I want to make you better. I don't want to make you worse. All right, Deborah. I hope you're going to be better, and we appreciate your call. We have open lines. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. It's joint replacement or any kind of orthopedic or rheumatologic stuff or if you have anything else that's driving you crazy give us a call we'll do our best to answer it let's go to laura and laurel hey laura hey how are you we're better since you called. thank you for your call <laughs> uh, i'm calling because two summers ago i had 
ankle surgery that was uh, required, according to my podiatrist, I had a really bad sprain the year before, and apparently it wasn't just a sprain but a slight break that I walked around on for about 10 months. Uh-huh. And uh, he's like, well, we're going to have to do surgery to fix that. He went in, and he said that I had a um, torn tendon, and he removed a fatty pad, and um, he couldn't do anything about the break because it had healed pretty much on its own. Anyway, ever since then, I have had persistent swelling in the ankle, like to the point where sometimes there's no delineation between my calf and my ankle. No. It gets so bad. No. And um, I, I don't know. And this was in another state. I've since relocated, so I don't even have access to this guy anymore. I did speak with an orthopedist. Um, I had also had some elbow surgery the same year. And he was actually pretty upset with me for not coming to him with this particular issue. Um, he said most surgeons have a plan A, and when plan A doesn't work out, then we go to plan B. And he said, now we're at plan B stage. Well, I don't know what plan B is. I don't know how to per- pursue this. I don't know where to go. I don't know what questions to ask because I've already had the surgery. All right. So you, what you're asking the orthopod is what would be a reasonable approach for you to make a decision about what you have done or don't have done on your ankle. Is that right? That's pretty much it. All right, so let's go to him and see if he can help you. So when somebody has already uh, goofed around with somebody's joint and comes to you and uh, is unhappy with the result, how do you, how do you, do you restage them or how do you figure out what, what to recommend? Yeah, in terms of for you specifically with a with a foot issue, you know there may be surgical options for you depending on your situation. I, I think I really try to tell patients that I think it's important to find the right person for you, someone that you trust and is able to answer questions for you. Um, I really think of it like an airplane captain, right? You know, you're going to get on the plane. You want to find the captain to fly your plane that you trust. So I think finding someone that you feel comfortable with uh, to reassess your foot is a good thing. And you might have some options. You may have some non-operative options uh, in terms of orthotics, things like that. Or you may need to have a repeat surgery um, to deal with your issue. But I, I don't think that it's a lost cause necessarily. I just think that you need to be reevaluated. So do you do you do they frequently do tendon repairs and stuff around sprained and fractured ankles? I'd... They do. There there can be tendon injuries in situations like you described where you need to go in and do certain procedures to clean up the tendon or even move one tendon from one area to the other uh-huh. to help restore function. Uh, and the fact that she's got a lot of swelling means there's some inflammation or some dysfunction in the joint. Is that right? That is correct. And we really look to see, are you having swelling in the other foot to the same degree, or is this really just isolated to that foot? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, swelling in both legs, we start worrying about other issues like heart, things like that. But mm-hmm. if it's really just in that extremity, I would I would say that's an orthopedic issue. So it seems that everybody that gets close to one of you guys gets plain films and an MRI. Is why is that? So X-rays are, are pretty much across the board. You're going to need to have X-rays, and, and we can be. A lot of times, people come in with their own X-rays. A lot of times, those quite honestly aren't sufficient. We want very focused views, and so don't be surprised if your orthopedic surgeon makes you reshoot X-rays, which is a little frustrating. But we really want to be able to see everything. So, in my world, MRIs are really not that helpful, except for very specific patient population I take care of that have what's called osteonecrosis or AVN. But you know, if someone who's got 
arthritis of their hip or knee really doesn't need an MRI for me to make that diagnosis. So that that's a wasted test if that's what's going on. Now, if you're a younger patient with an ankle injury or a knee injury, MRI is really, really helpful because it lets us see the soft tissue, and we can't see that on an x-ray. We can only really see the bone well. Now, listeners, you just heard an orthopedic guy who obviously <clears throat> must be Catholic because he's confessional, and you heard him say, and remember this, that you don't need an MRI to make a judgment about whether a knee is severe, severely enough damage that it's going to need surgery. And I learned that a long time ago when MRIs were coming out, and I started getting MRIs, and everybody was abnormal, including the people that didn't even have problems with their knees. So uh, clarify that for people. I think that's very helpful. Yeah, MRIs are great for business for us because we'll find something wrong. But in in all honesty, um, I don't get an MRI unless it's going to help me make a decision of whether you need surgery or not. And really around the knee, the times that we are going to get something like an MRI is if you have pretty good looking x-rays with very minimal to no arthritis and we suspect that you've had a tear of one of your ligaments like the ACL that you hear about with the athletes or that you've torn one of the bumper pads in the knee which is also called the meniscus then we do want to get an MRI on that to know is that going on and then we can make a decision with the patient of hey do we need to go in there with the camera and clean that little area up or repair or re- rebuild that ligament that's been damaged. Okay, so you, you you know by now you've got an expert here, and we've got some open lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring <clears throat> We haven't said anything about arthroscopic surgery or what it is and how you do it, and we're not going to do it till you call and ask us. So give us a call. We have open lines at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to Bay St. Louis and Gulfport, and then we'll go to you if you give us a call. So let's go to Rosie in Bay St. Louis. Hey, Rosie. Hi, how are y'all? We're doing good. How are things in a great place, Bay St. Louis? Oh, it's a wonderful place to live. It and really we're so is. Happy. We're so happy that Mardi Gras is over. Uh, and I yes. to tell you. And I heard about some terrible something happening over in Gulf Shores or someplace. That... So they had uh, an elderly gentleman was driving an SUV and seemed to have lost control. He was in the parade. He was the backup for the VFW, I think. Can't swear to that. Uh-huh. And um, he plowed into some of those kids. Oh, what a heartbreaker. Uh, Heart, yeah, heartbreaker. and then in Biloxi, there was a guy that was in uh, the back of his truck, and he fell onto a piece of a rebar. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, and he didn't make it. I mean, he was, <laughs> he was functioning, you know, aware by the time he got in the hospital, but there, it just... Well, it's a lot. There's a lot of fun, and uh, but there's also some risks there, like everything there else in life. Are. What's going on with your fingers? Okay, this is a deal. I've got... I was told by a physician, not an orthopod, that that he thought that I had square vein syndrome on my in my thumb. Now wait a second. Let me let me help you because he's his hair went straight up. Remember, an orthopod <laughs> is a physician. He's well, a he's a surgeon. Okay, I'm just trying to keep both of us out of trouble. GP. You're right. Okay, your primary care doctor said yeah. that you had decurve veins problem, right? Right. On okay. both of my both of my thumbs, because if you press at the base of the pad upwards, mm-hmm. it's just incredible. And I'm having a little trouble with the grip, which very well might be arthritis. Instead, I've since been told. Yeah. By an orthopod. So, okay. wh- so what is your In question? Addition, go ahead. No. What is your question? 
my question is, um, if it is the Corvains, is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, you're good, you're good. Is, is there something that I can do about that? But that's not the main question I have. Okay. What's the main question? I have trigger fingers and my middle finger, both middle finger, both middle fingers uh, catch and hold if I'm picking up something in a grip fashion, which is smaller than, say, uh, 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 than maybe two inches in right. diameter. If, if I have to really grip it, when I have to release it, I have uh, an incredibly difficult time. And it's painful, too. Oh, let me tell you. Okay, so let's talk, about, let's talk about great finger problems, including the ones you've got, the first carpal metacarpal joint, and let's talk about trigger fingers real quick where we can uh, go, to, uh, go to Gulfport. So uh, the, the first, uh, the thumb joint is, an arthro- is, is a joint that gets bad osteoarthritis, but it gets other stuff too, right? That's correct. And she actually, the queer veins is something actually somewhat similar to what's going on with your trigger finger in terms of what's happening. But it's one of the tendon sheaths to the thumb. And that's why you're feeling it on the, you know, at the base of your thumb. That's also an area where we do see arthritis, but the queer veins is more of a tendon catching in the sheath. And that's exactly what you've got going on with the trigger fingering as well, where there's a there's a, it's basically like a rope, and that rope has to run through a tight tunnel. And if anything happens to that rope or it gets inflamed, then it gets a little ball of tissue on it, and it will get caught. Now, with the dequeer veins, there's some things you can try, such as splinting. Also, anti-inflammatories can be helpful. And sometimes an injection with some steroid into that sheath can be helpful. Sometimes we have to operate on dequeer veins to open that little area up and free it. Now, trigger fingers are are pretty straightforward to take care of from a surgery standpoint. Some surgeons even do that in the office um, with a needle where you can actually release it. But if you go to the operating room for a trigger finger, it really is a a very fast uh, surgery uh, and uh, is fairly safe overall and can help quite a bit. So I would really encourage you to to discuss that with a hand surgeon. I I think that, you know, that's something we can help with. So does physical therapy delay the need or fix the trigger fingers? Uh, I'm hoping you'll say yes, because I have one, too. Uh, And, uh, you know, you you hang up there and you get rid of it. It comes and goes and it's worse and better. And so can you just... Yeah, there's some things physical therapy can help with quite a bit. You know, trigger fingering is one of those things that really is not going to provide that much benefit. Um, Now, with the queer veins, with a splint of the thumb can be helpful, but you can't really do that with your fingers and still have a functional hand. So trigger finger really is one of those things you either kind of live with it or you really need to have it released. Does it tend to get worse over time? Um, It can wax and wane just depending on the swelling. All right, Rosie. Keep everybody straight in Bay St. Louis, and sounds like you need a trip to a hand surgeon. That's an orthopedic hand surgeon or a plastic surgeon trained in hand. Hand is extremely complicated, and you don't want just anybody digging around in your hand because once it's messed up, it's a bad deal. Let's go to Barbara in Gulfport. Hey, Barbara. Yes, good morning, doctor. Thanks for your call. What's going on? Uh, well, over the past year and a half, I have developed uh, full-blown inflammatory RA mm-hmm. uh, throughout my body. Sorry. Um, well, the main question I have to 
both of my knees have frozen in place to where I cannot straighten my legs to walk normal. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like a little chim chimpanzee walking with my knees forward. Understand. Um, would uh, knee replacement surgery be beneficial? Okay, are you seeing a rheumatologist? Yes, sir. Uh, and are you on a biologic methotrexate and Embrol or Humira or something like that? Um, am I what? Are you on a what are called DMARDs, disease modifying drug like methotrexate or Humira or Embrol? No, I'm only on prednisone. Okay. All right. Which so takes care of the inflammation. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. The number one uh, treatment for uh, rheumatoid arthritis is not prednisone. Prednisone is a temporary therapy until you can get the inflammation controlled by drugs that control the inflammation. And I'm going to let the surgeon answer your question, but I will tell you he ain't going to touch your knees until you get your arthritis under control because if he fixes them, they're going to get broken again because you haven't gotten the underlying process uh, sorted out. Rheumatoid arthritis is an inflammation in the lining uh, uh, around your joint, and uh, it involves the hands, uh, the large and small joints is symmetrical, and it requires what are called disease-modifying agents. And the first step in that is methotrexate. If you don't have a contraindication, if that doesn't work after six months, a biologic like Embrel or Humira, or if that doesn't work, we have a jillion other drugs. So, But I do think it would be a benefit to you see an orthopedist at this time because that orthopedist can help you uh, know what needs to be done with other parts of the therapy other than the drug stuff and work with your rheumatologist. Yeah, Barbara, I think it's really important to get you treated medically first, and you may find that your knees do much better when you get on the correct agents. From there, if you're still having a lot of issues with your knees, I would certainly recommend having, getting some x-rays, having those evaluated. You could benefit from knee replacement. We really, really get concerned about patients that have no motion prior to surgery. You're really going to struggle after surgery and probably not end up with a, with a happy result. So we really would recommend getting some physical therapy, getting the motion back in the knee, trying to get you better medically controlled before you consider surgery. And we we probably need to give you some more information. We don't have time. Dr. Stronich's number is 601-984-6525, 984-6525. And you have some excellent orthopedic surgeons uh, in your area as well. So it's time for you to get a second opinion on your arthritis and, and get to see um, uh, a, a rheumatologist. Talk to your rheumatologist about what's going on while you're only on steroids that give you all kinds of side effects and make your muscles weak and why you're not on a DMARD and then get to a good uh, orthopedic uh, bone specialist. So there you go. Uh, I hope that helps, Barbara. And we will send you some patient information stuff if you want to uh, send us an email. Let's go to Jeannie in Bay Springs. Hey, Jeannie. Yes. What's happening in your part of the world? Not a lot. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on with your knee? All right, I have a torn meniscus in my right knee. How do you know that? 
Okay, good question. Um, I went to Southern Bone in Hasburg. They're very good, and I had a X-ray done, and he said I had um, arthritis. Mm-hmm. And so then, I, then, then my husband kept saying, you're all right. You, you know, you had an X-ray, and you're fine, but no. And so I went back and had an MRI done, and that's when he saw it, you know. Yeah. So is it all swollen up and tender or what? It was for a long time. The swelling seems to have gone down now. But it, uh, one question is, is that swelling, was that the beginning when I tore it, that it swelled like that? or? Uh-huh. Know, so know. for him to give you an answer of what needs to be done next, he needs to know how bad your knee is bothering you right now. Is it back to normal or is it messed up? It's it's semi-normal. What happens is when I cross my knee or do anything weird, make a different motion with it, it kind of, it's painful. It, you know, it, mm. can, it can send a pain. Mm. Can you walk and do your uh, activities? Sure, I'm doing and... my Pilates today. I can do that kind of stuff. It's just that, you know, sometimes it, it shoots a pain. It, it, it's a click, and it's a click when I do that. We got you. We got you. Yeah, Jeannie, uh, the good news is you're you're high functioning right now. Uh, the, the, from a pain standpoint, it sounds like you're you're still able to do Pilates. You're still active. That's very good. Um, when you have an issue like this, something like a meniscus tear, it's important to understand that that meniscus. What is a meniscus? It's basically a bumper pad in between the top bone and the bottom bone of the knee, and it can get torn on the sides. Yeah, it, it basically looks like a little dish, and and when it gets torn, it does exactly what you're describing. You can have clicking and popping and catching in the knee. That can be quite painful. There are a lot of people that are walking around that have a meniscus tear and don't even know it. So it's really kind of varies patient to patient. So it's a little frisbee between the two ends of your bones that sit on top of each other on either end? That's right. And if you look at the two bones, they don't really fit real well together, and so it's a little piece of tissue that basically lets those two bones fit well together but it can get torn and so the options would would really depend on on your symptoms and what your x-rays look like what the mri looks like if you have very minimal to no arthritis and you're really having symptoms from the meniscus that popping clicking then need to look at getting a, a knee scope if it's really not bothering you that much you know it is okay to leave it alone but just know the meniscus is not going to heal on its own so if it's not bothering you that much and you're functional, if you were my family member, I would tell you just keep rolling and leave it alone. What's that clicking stuff? That's actually the piece of meniscus flipping around in there and clicking uh, that you can actually feel it. It's a mechanical type sensation. So, And if that's bothering you enough that you want to undergo surgery, it would be a knee scope where what that means is we take a little camera make two little slits in the knee, put a camera through one slot, and then put our tools through the other slot, and we go in and we just clean up that little bit of tear so it'll stop clicking. Mm, but otherwise, it's not a problem. It's just an irritant. Yeah, it's more just an irritant. It's mm. it's likely not going to do long-term damage, but if it's uh, more than just a, an occasional nuisance, it's something that surgery can help with if, quite a bit. If your knee hurts and you don't know what's wrong with it, should you stop using it or should you exercise it? Uh, exercise it, definitely. You know, no, if you have a fracture or something like that, that's a different ball game you know we don't want you trying to go jogging on a fracture but um, if you have something like a meniscus tear or if you have some early knee arthritis we really don't want you to lay up and let your knee get stiff we want to keep you as active as we can and really as a joint replacement surgeon and arthritis surgeon i really love water aerobics go get in the pool get in the classes get out there and, and get swimming and even if you can't swim a lot of people are afraid of the water can't swim it's okay in water aerobics you're just walking around in the water you don't have to know how to swim so it's okay
Great, great. And are there menisci and other joints like the shoulders and the hips? And or There's something similar to that, you know, in the shoulder and in the hip. There's something uh, called a labrum that's basically a gasket around that joint. Uh, some of the most of the larger joints do have some soft tissue associated with it. And so sometimes you can damage that soft tissue and not the bone. And we need to go in there with the camera and fix that. All right. All right. I hope that helps you, Jeannie. And it sounds like you're doing pretty good, and you probably ought to just keep doing pretty good. Let's go to Gene in Mobile. Hey, Gene. Yes, sir. What's going on in Mobile? Man, this is the guy that called you a number of years ago and told you you had every kind of illness known to man and some women's diseases. Yes, I quote you frequently. I I hear you, and I laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Did you go to Mardi Gras yesterday? Uh, Well, I actually worked yesterday. I drove a float, but anyway. What about that? Was it a good day? Yeah, yes, sir. Very good. I got back home about three o'clock. I was ready to quit. But I got anyway, you. I got actually, you. What I got here is I have some kind of type of arthritis, whatever. I don't know. I've been to an arthritis doctor, and he checked me for rheumatoid arthritis. I said, I don't have it, but I do have psoriasis, and I do know this is some kind of arthritis that's connected to that disease. And what's happened to me all of a sudden? And, I, and I, I'm in pretty good shape for seventy-six years old. I, I, I work on the roof and everything else, but. Uh, I got to where I can't hardly get up and down. I, if I get down on the floor, I look like a water buffalo trying to get up. And uh, my knees, and primarily my shoulders, are worse. And it, it seems to get, it's get, seems like it's getting better now. I'm not taking anything for it. But do you have any idea what we may be dealing with here? Is it several different kinds of arthritis or what? Yeah, uh, psoriatic arthritis is one of a family of what are called seronegative spondyloarthritis. They tend to involve the axial spine, the lumbar spine and thoracic spine, uh, hips, uh, asymmetrically joints, and they are an inflammatory arthritis, but they're different in the way that the laboratory stuff works and the erosions work and so forth than rheumatoid arthritis. So I think you need to go back to your rheumatologist. I think this was probably developing the first time that you saw him or her, and now has fully manifested itself. And here's the good news. These new biologic agents like Humira and Embril and others are very, very good if you have psoriatic arthritis. And there are some special features on the x-rays that are helpful in um, diagnosing that. So it isn't that difficult to figure out and you don't want to blow away your joints. This one will eat your joints whole if it stays uncontrolled. Yeah, and these inflammatory arthritis is different than osteoarthritis or what we think of just run-of-the-mill wear and tear. Really, things like psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, the drugs have gotten so much better, and these are just really horrific diseases that do a great deal of damage if they're left unchecked. So if you're struggling with, you think, some type of arthritis, you have a family history of rheumatoid arthritis, things like this, we both would really advise you guys to go out and get tested because we can help you with that and really give you a much, much healthier and more productive, less painful lifestyle. Yeah, and it's a whole new world out there for people with these problems. You're listening to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick here with Dr. Ben Stronich who is a professor of orthopedics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and is a joint replacement specialist. And we are taking lots of calls on joints, and we'll take your call if you give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Hazelhurst and Larry. Hey, Larry. 
Hi. What's okay. happening with your fingers? Uh, uh, fingers, and Dr. DeShazo, you helped me. Last year you recommended Voltaren because your knee hurt, and you didn't like surgery and their needles. So I went and got the Voltaren, and rub it for a week or so, and the trigger finger goes away for two months or more. Hot dog. Voltaren. It's, I praise that stuff. You don't know how much relief you've given me. Well, thank you very much. The The only problem I would say, Larry, with trigger fingers is certainly the Voltaren gel will help the pain and discomfort. Voltaren is a very high-powered non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agent that we don't use much anymore because it gives people ulcers, but it's in a, a form you can rub on your joints and doesn't give you that problem. And so it can help when you have active trigger finger, but it may or may not be actually resolving the trigger finger, which is you just heard and will hear again, tends to come and go on its own. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And Larry, I think what you're doing is certainly fine. If it works for you and that's getting the inflammation down, that's what it's designed to do. So the Voltaren's working very well for you. And really, the only reason to go have surgery on the trigger finger is just if it's an annoying you enough to have that. If you like the way that this is working with the Voltaren, you're you're not doing damage by continuing that. Yeah, we use a lot of um, non-steroidals like naproxen, which is a leave over the counter. Uh, but if you're taking those more than, th- and we prefer a leave to ibuprofen, which is short acting. But if you're using those for more than three days, you need to take some kind of stomach protector that is an acid blocker uh, to keep your stomach from uh, getting erosions because everyone that takes those long term. So if you can use a topical, that's less of a problem. And that's why Voltaren. But there are other things that you can do. Uh, on that that don't involve taking pills to make your joints better and i want to underline what you just said warm water exercise physical therapy especially if you can find a therapeutic pool where the temperature is turned up is absolutely magic uh for non-articular rheumatism and joint aches like all the old folks have Yep, we're we're a big fan of of getting in the pool, and that's for patients before surgery to try to get their strength back, get their motion back, and then also for patients that have had a hip or knee replacement. And, you know, I have some younger patients with arthritis, and you may be in the pool, some, you know, some older folks, but that's okay. And a lot of those patients have had a hip or knee replacement, and they can actually talk talk to you about it and tell you if they were satisfied or not, who their surgeon was, and how things went. So we really do like the pool for our patients that are developing arthritis. You're listening to Dr. Ben Stronich. I'm Dr. Rick, and this is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Let's go to Matthew, who has a question about back pain. Hey, Matthew. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, about six weeks ago, I was lifting my couch, and I tweaked the left side of my lower back. And everything I've researched basically said two to eight weeks, it should be it should be fine. So I, uh, I'm uninsured, so I haven't seen anybody about it, and it seems to be getting fine. Um, however, the side of my hip and the front of my hip, um, the pain is spreading into that. Um, I thought it might have been, people have been telling me it's sciatica, but everything I read is uh, the back side of the leg. So any idea what this might be? Yeah, so sciatica is typically going to be down so from the lower back into your 
your buttock region, and then sometimes down the leg, even all the way down to the foot. So that's the course of the sciatic nerve. So if you're having sciatic type pain, it feels like somebody has got an electric cord running down the back of your leg. It's very like a shock type sensation. If you're having more pain in the, the side of your hip or in the front of your hip, that's unlikely to be sciatica. That could be either a, an injury to the hip that happened at that time, or this could be some soreness and pain or some bursitis around the hip joint as well. So what should he do, give it another couple of weeks and take some naproxen, or should he has insurance issues, which is a nightmare, um, what should he do? Uh, are there alarm signs that would tell him that he needs to see somebody for this kind of for back pain or hip pain, uh, and otherwise can you wait and sort of doctor it yourself for eight to 12 weeks. Yeah, when it, when it comes to the back, you know, the big thing is we want to make sure that there's nothing going on that's damaged one of the nerves or the spinal cord. So if you start having bowel or bladder changes, if you start having weakness or loss of feeling in your leg or one of your arms, that's serious stuff and you really need to seek treatment for that right away. If you've had a, a back injury, something like a muscle tear or even what we call a, a slip disc, that typically is something that you will treat non-operatively. And so the, the fact that you've been... Um, kind of self-remedying some of this I, I think is okay based on the fact that you're getting better um, but now we're having these new hip complaints I think it really depends on how long it's bothering you and if it's getting better or worse I, I do think an anti-inflammatory would be very helpful and to use that for a few weeks regularly no we don't want you doing that long term but for two to three weeks to take some naproxen twice a day um, can be quite helpful and if you're still not getting better after that it's probably best to seek treatment so can you self-refer to a, a physical therapist or do you have to have a doctor re uh, refer you? You know, it's different state to state. And that's one of the things the physical therapists have uh, been wanting to do in Mississippi. But to date, uh, my understanding is have not yet been successful. So you would need to have a physician refer you to see a physical therapist. Now, that can even be your, your primary care physician. It doesn't necessarily have to be an orthopedic surgeon when it comes to some of these just, uh, you know, bruises and scrapes and low back pain type issues. We can really get you some help with a physical therapist without necessarily needing an orthopedic surgeon in the beginning of the problem. And they know when they do their evaluation whether or not it's out of their area fairly quickly, right? And yeah, or out. I would agree with that. And also yeah. with physical therapists, it's just like with, with physicians. You want to find the right fit. And if you have a physical therapist that's treating you like you're a 20-year-old in the NFL, you may want to find somebody else. You know, you really want to find that person that's a good fit for you and is not going to get you hurt further. Yep, for sure. Let's go to Vicksburg and Francis. Hey, hey, Francis. Francis, you there? Yes. It's your turn. We can't wait oh, to hear okay. about your ankle. Okay, thanks. Um, I have had what I thought was osteoarthritis over the years, and about three or four years ago, my legs and ankles began to swell, and the doctors put me through a bunch of tests and were unable to determine what was causing that. And then about eight months ago, I began to have severe uh, tendonitis in both ankles, behind the ankle, and all the way around, actually, the ankle. And it has made walking so painful and so difficult, and it seems to be getting worse. I just wondered, do you have any ideas as to what that could be? Is it related to the, um, the arthritis? Um, I'm at a loss, so... <laughs> Yeah, it can be multiple things. You know, if you're developing some arthritis in the ankle, what happens is your body is going to try to favor away from that. And so you start using the foot in different ways and you can start irritating tendons that are, are not typically used as much. 
And so you can see an inflammation in other areas like that because you're trying to overcompensate. Um, it, it really would depend on your situation in terms of how bad does does the joint look in the ankle as to as to whether you would get an MRI or not. But there are potentially things you can do to help with those um, tendons and ligaments around the ankle and foot. Sometimes those are um, simple things like orthotics or changing footwear. Sometimes that can be more involved, like injections or even surgery, depending on your specific situation when we evaluate you with things like the MRI and an X-ray. So one of the things that we haven't mentioned, which she probably does not have, is gout. We see so much gout now. That usually presents in the big toe, but it can present in an ankle, but it's usually one ankle, not two ankles at once, although it's not, you know, always missed. So um, uh, when one has acute arthritis of a joint, the usual recommendation, and we work closely with the orthopedist on this, is to take some fluid out of that joint and see what is in it because there are crystals that can be in there and you will have recurrent episodes. If there's blood in there, that means you've probably broken some things and you always get an x-ray to with it. People don't know what to expect. So in her situation, what should she have had done so far to deal with this? Yeah, I, I think it really depends on where you are from an x-ray standpoint, and it sounds like your symptoms are getting worse, so it probably is time to go to the next steps, and that may require an injection into the ankle, and, and like Dr. Rick said, sometimes we like to get fluid out to make sure there is no gout or any kind of crystal disease. These things are just like rheumatoid, where they, they're treated differently, so we're going to treat that differently than we would run-of-the-mill arthritis or what we call osteoarthritis, so it may be time for you to go to that next those next steps in your management. All right. Thank you for your call. And let's go to Meridian and Ernie. Hey, Ernie. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for your patience. What's your question? <clears throat> uh, I just want to get your uh, recommendation and experience with the hyaluric acid injections for osteoarthritis of the knees. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. It is something that's in our, our arsenal of treatment, so to speak, prior to surgery. Um, it's an interesting product, and what it was originally developed for was to put into the joint to try to regrow or heal the cartilage. We found it really doesn't work like that. Uh, we think the benefit of it is likely because it's providing some cushioning effect or padding back into the knee. The science behind the hyaluronic acid in terms of how patients do when we've looked at large groups of them is not real clear. So from the group of surgeons that do what I do, there's a large body. And the recommendation really is that they don't really recommend for or against the use of hyaluronic acid because the science is not that great behind it. But I will say that I do use it in my practice. I really prefer to use that in patients with early arthritis that are having pain to try to restore some of that cushion to the knee. I have some patients that would swear by it, and it lasts three to six months. I have some patients that get no relief. And so it leaves us wondering, is that what we call a placebo effect, or is that just simply because we've pr provided some treatment you feel better, or how much effect is it actually doing? But it's still a treatment that I offer patients, and it does seem to provide relief to a large number of patients. So this is uh, basically a <clears throat> viscous liquid, sort of like oil, that you squirt into the joint, and it has some moisturizing ability for the cartilage and some hydraulic function in there. Is that is that the thought process right now? That's right. When you look at a, a young adult, if you pull their joint fluid off and look at it, it should be like motor oil. When you start to develop arthritis, it actually turns into water, and we want to make it more like motor oil. All right. So it may be worth a try. 
Listen, it's been great to have you visit with us, Dr. Ben Stronich, who is an orthopedic surgeon at UMC. His number is 601-984-6525 if you need further uh, information, or you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be happy to send you whatever you we can provide to help you out. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. Catch the replay of our show at Sunday at 6 a.m. And join us next Wednesday at 11 for the original Southern Remedy where the doctors are always in. NPR's Here Now is next. Dr. Stronich, thanks a lot. Thank you guys for having me.